Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Amazon Legends. And today we're speaking to Elizabeth Green. And Elizabeth Green is one of the founders of jungler.com. And they are all about Amazon PPC. So Elizabeth, uh, welcome to the show. So first, tell us about yourself and how you started the company and where the idea came from and how long you've been doing it. So tell us about your company and yourself and your passions a little bit, and then we'll dive straight into all things about Amazon. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. So as far as myself and the company, it's been a little over three years now, as far as the company running. And then as far as passions, I often say like, I I kind of fell into it because there's a lot of sellers that need help with PPC. There's a lot of I guess aspects that go into PPC and it can be a bit time consuming if you're trying to like sit down and learn everything and all the strategies and, you know, different tactics out there. I think you can still succeed on your own, but it's becoming a larger and larger piece of the business as Amazon pours more and more resources into building out their ad platform, which is great because that means that there's more for us to take advantage of, but it does mean for sellers that it just consumes more of their time. So it became very apparent that it was a service that was really needed. I think there's other great marketers out there, but I like to think that I'm one of them as well. And so it started out just me helping sellers out with their ads. If someone had a question or they needed help with something, I was happy to offer that. And it just kind of grew from there. And so it it came from just a place of realizing that this is something that sellers needed. And then I discovered that I really, really like it. I enjoy running the ads. I enjoy getting into the technical aspects. I enjoy just looking at reports and playing with numbers, you know, seeing how one piece affects the other. I like to say it's, to me, it's like part art and part science. Like it's numbers. So at the end of the day, you know, you kind of have to take a look at the numbers, see what they're telling you. But I think there's art in understanding how each of them influences each other because it is marketing and you are dealing with consumers and humans, consumers, we're very, very fickle. We have weird nuances. We like to say that we're intelligent. I mean, people are very intelligent and they're very smart, but we definitely lead with emotions. And when emotions are involved, it's kind of hard to like, it's hard to bring exact science to it. So I think there's an art aspect of it as well. Yeah. So one of my favorite questions that were the answer kind of transformed over the years, the past 20 years or so. And the question is, is marketing art or a science? Both. I would say both. (laughs) Well, the right answer in the old days was art because Mm -hmm. it's all about emotions, feelings, and appealing to what people need or fear or whatever. But now it's become a combination of both because without the numbers, you know, the science part, the art is not going to even connect with anything. So, yeah. And that made it more challenging because the artsy people are never numbers people, right? (laughs) 
So that's that's the challenge. Yes, yes. So I want to take a little bit of a different approach. We're going to get into the the nuts and bolts of PPC, but what are some of the struggles that you've seen sellers experience when they are adapting to the PPC world? Because it's a whole different world, right? So they don't understand it. They don't understand testing. They don't understand spending money blind. They want to see, you know, okay, if I spend this, can you guarantee I'm going to get that? So what are some of the struggles, the typical business struggles and the entrepreneurial struggles that you've seen them go through in your PPC world? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is getting emotionally tied to keywords and not understanding uh, kind of when to hold them and when to fold them, I guess, <laughs> in my opinion. And even as a marketer, like I'll bring, you know, a client will bring me a product and I'll find a list of keywords that in my mind, you know, we always want to best foot forward, start our market, determine where we think the product fits in the market. And then you run that and then you get the data feedback. And sometimes it might not have, you know, one or two of those keywords that you are absolutely certain were going to work perfect for the product may not work. And so sometimes we need to just take a look at what the market is telling us and determine that maybe this isn't the greatest fit for this particular product. And it could be at this time. Maybe your reviews aren't at the right point. Maybe you haven't figured out exactly what price point works best for your market. Maybe you're in a launch. Maybe you need, like there's things that we can tweak, but it can be somewhat disheartening even if it's not my own personal product, you know, bringing the client product. So I can't imagine a seller who it is their own personal product and it is their, you know, personal money that's being spent on the ads to take a look at that and say like, why doesn't the market like my product? That That's not what it means. There's somewhere else you can fit in the market, but it might not just be here and it might not be for this particular time. And it, it's it's hard to uh, look at it objectively sometimes when you're so emotionally wrapped up and then financially wrapped up as well in a particular part. Yeah, so I heard the saying a while ago, uh, I don't remember exactly where, but Amazon, everybody thinks is a marketplace of products, but actually it's not. It's a marketplace of keywords. So mm-hmm. you have to find what keywords have demand and then associate your product with those keywords and then you'll obviously have success and of course you also have to be able to spend money to figure out different keywords right so okay tell us so typically give us the experience so let's cover it from scratch so somebody just starting out and they've got their product so it's we're not talking about companies that buy and sell right they don't really need ppc because the listings are Mm -hmm. already there so we're talking about companies who will launch their own products. So how does that play out typically? You mean for building out launch campaigns? Yeah. Okay. This is actually perfect. It's really funny. I just made a LinkedIn post yesterday about like what you need to like the four questions you should ask before you go in and launch. Because I think what happens in a lot of cases, if you are unsure of how to 
like build out your campaigns. It can seem very daunting. It honestly isn't if you do a little research, but you'll go in and you'll find these like launch strategies that have like 30 different campaigns and like, you know, segment four different autos and launch all these things. And instead of going back and analyzing, they just say, oh, this is what I need to do. Okay. I'm going to go through and launch all this stuff. And then like the spend is very high or maybe you chose keywords that are way too aggressive and it can like all of a sudden, I mean, you can literally blow a thousand dollars a day if you, in some like high volume markets, that's, you could probably blow more than that if you advertise on certain things. And so I think it's important to kind of take, take a step back and then really look at where you fit in the marketplace. And then a big, big thing is going to be analyzing what budget you can spend and then analyzing what the market kind of dictates that you need to spend and seeing if you can find the sweet spot between those two. And I think you're very right when you said that the marketplace is definitely its keywords. And so what you want to do is you want to choose the best keywords that, you know, you think were, again, you're not always going to get it right from day one. I don't care how good of a marketer or how good you are at analyzing markets. Like, you don't know the mind of every single shopper that's going to run across the product. But what you want to do is you want to just kind of take a look at your market, notice the keyword set. And typically speaking, not always, but most times the higher the search volume on a keyword, the more competitive the keyword. And you can also take a look at the Amazon's like recommended cost per clicks to kind of get an idea of how expensive it is going to be to run this keyword. Because if you're looking at a keyword that's upwards of $2 on a cost per click, you're at a launch you don't have any reviews, and then the search volume is very high, well, you're going to get a lot of clicks at $2. And if your market is hyper-competitive, you have people who are entrenched and you know thousands of reviews and their price points lower than yours, your conversion rate's probably not going to be all that great. And so you're going to end up with you know, just very high AA costs. You can do that calculation. Yeah. So a few things that are natural to you. So just for the newcomers, so to speak, few of the, the words that you mentioned. You said you can launch a lot of campaigns, some auto and some not. Tell us what those mean. What is an auto campaign? What is a regular campaign? Yes. So that strategy would be one that I've seen recommended. I'll probably give you a rundown of the campaigns and then maybe I can give you an idea of how I would start a launch Sure. because I think it's much more pinpointed. But there are two types of campaigns on Amazon. There's something called an auto or an automatic campaign, and then there's a manual campaign. Automatic campaign, Amazon determines what you're targeting. So different ASINs, different keywords, they decide where to put your products. When you're doing a manual campaign, you're the one giving those inputs. So you're doing the keywords, you're, you know, you're, you can uh, target keywords as well as ASINs on manual. So. Those are the, the two. Uh, in theory, it would be great for you know us to just run autos and Amazon always determines where we fit into the marketplace. They do try and get it right, but autos are difficult, if not impossible, to scale, meaning like the more budget you give them, you cannot guarantee that they're gonna keep putting you in those same places that are working right now because you know they're constantly in flux. Mm-hmm. And so they work. We, we run autos for all of our products, you know, all accounts, but I would definitely prefer to do a high balance on the manual campaigns because again, we can, we can get very specific and targeted. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your experience of some of the mistakes that you've seen made over and over. 
and just give us your your recommendations how you would like to see sellers launch what are the things that they ought to do before starting a ppc campaign and uh, so that they can be successful so so give us the don'ts and give us the do's afterwards yes so a big one which is not going to be a part of the actual advertising is going to be making sure your listing is very well received. You want good images. You want good copy. You want to do like market research and determine like what a good price point is. You want to be ready to drive traffic because in the end of the day, your listing is what converts the traffic, not the PPC. Although the PPC is going to bring the shoppers to your listing. So I think that's first and foremost, not being launch ready with the products. So, you know, I have a question for you, sorry to Mm. interrupt, but this is something I get all the time. I'm sure they also tell you uh, that, you know, by discounting, you're not going to make money. So, and nobody wants to really be the cheap, especially they are launching their own products. So how do you deal with the situation where they don't want to be the cheapest? They are more expensive. They don't want to compromise on their price, but at the same time, you know, the ASINs or the listings that they will be competing with from keyword standpoint, they are cheaper. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question because I hear that from shoppers a lot is I'm the premium option. And my answer is always, can you demonstrate to the marketplace that you are the premium option? I have seen products come in with like lower, no reviews, the premium option, high price point, but they spent money on their images. They spent money on their copy. They spent money on their packaging, on their customer experience. If someone is paying a high price point, you can't personally know that, oh, this is better than the market. The shopper doesn't realize that. All they're doing is they're looking at the images, they're looking at your listing. That's the only touch point they have with your product until they actually click that buy. And then hopefully you really want to demonstrate that in the packaging, in the user experience, because that's, you know, that's where you get the good reviews and that momentum going. So if you can demonstrate to the marketplace that you are a premium product and the marketplace wants it. There are times where people come in with premium options and premium products that maybe their marketplace doesn't care that the, you know, maybe it's a little bit thicker or something. They're not willing to pay the extra money for that. So that's part of like the market research and like product research. So that's, that's really important. But I have seen premium option come in. It's just that you need to make sure that the, you can adequately convey that to the shoppers that you're the premium. So what I'm hearing is don't go running the PPC campaign until your listing is ready. And mm-hmm. and if you have a price situation where you are more expensive than your competition, your pictures are the most important because that's what looks like everybody's looking at, right? So I always yeah. say that your listings, it's one thing to bring people to your listing. You know, you can do that all day long. But if they are not buying, it doesn't matter. And what will make the sale or close the sale is 50% pictures, 50% your bullets. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. And I think it depends on the shopper. I am notorious and terrible for only shopping images. Maybe I'll go read the description. I'm definitely an image shopper. I know that there's other people who are description and bullet point shoppers. So yeah, I think you definitely need to make sure you speak to both. And things like infographics are huge for people like me who are garbage at reading descriptions, you know, you can quickly demonstrate and call out what the benefits are. So infographics, that's interesting. So 
there are also some Amazon restrictions on the pictures that you have, right? So tell us a little bit about those. So that is not my area of expertise on what is actually allowed or not. I don't know. Have there been updates to the the infographic? Yeah, like they don't allow other brands. If you if you use other brands mm. and you associate yourself with them, so because it comes under the false pretenses. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You have to have accurate data. If you make a claim, you need to be very, very careful about how you phrase that. It's kind of technical nuances, but yeah, you need to be very careful if you're making claims that they're substantiated, that you can prove, you can be vague, you know, it's in the wording, but you don't want to get caught there. And yeah, you're right. You cannot, you absolutely cannot call out other brands. Although I have seen people put infographics like other competitors, like it's, they don't say the brand name, but they're, they're basically, I mean, there, there's some gray areas there, I think. Yeah. I've actually heard a great argument. This is not necessarily to do with the pictures, but with the keywords, like they are saying that if you use other brands that have high traffic in your keywords, and then you get indexed, and then let's say best case scenario, you're coming up every time they search this this other brand, your listing is coming up and, and you are appearing. So let's look at it from that perspective. So if somebody is looking for that brand and you come up right at the top, they're not going to click on you because you're not any interest to them, right? So what's the point of appearing at the top for this other brand? Best case scenario, right? So, however, if they search you, they search this other brand and you come up and then you make the sale, Amazon algorithm thinks, oh, here is a keyword. It happens to be a brand, but every time somebody searches this brand, and they end up buying this other product, they're going to index you anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah. you're going out of your way, associating yourself with other brands just to get traffic is really not a smart strategy because it's, it doesn't make any sense from the shopper's standpoint. Yeah, it really depends on your product and where you are in the like. I wouldn't go after those on a launch. You can advertise on branded terms. You cannot put them in your back end. You will get in very big trouble. Like you can't put them in your listing, the actual brand names. You can advertise on those in PPC. But as you said, if someone's typing in a brand name, they know exactly what product it is they're looking for. They're not very likely to click. So typically we see that the performance on those isn't going to be as good as like your other typical campaigns. However, there are certain times where it might make sense. Like if you've completely maximized your market and you're like, all right, next step, I'm just like going to double down and I want to own everything in the space. That's an option. I mean, it's going to be a hard fraught road to get there. That's the end game. I wouldn't say start on that in the beginning. And then the other thing that might make sense is if you're a consumable product. So if you have a lot of subscribe, you know, subscribe and save shoppers or things that you know you're going to get residual income from that, you might be willing to pay a little bit more to kind of pull them into your ecosystem versus some of the top brands and you can kind of steal market share that way in that case i think it might make sense as well so tell us a little bit about this never-ending chicken and egg situation so you need reviews to make a sale or increase your conversion but reviews come from sales so how do you get one without the other and how do you get the ball rolling yeah, unfortunately, you really can't. 
So I would say I'm not in the camp of don't run advertising until you have reviews. I think you can. I think you just have to recognize that the performance is not going to be as good in the beginning. But like you said, you need, you like, you need to get those sales to get the reviews. So again, having everything in place in the beginning is very important. Like making sure your packaging is good, making sure you have some sort of insert card, like you want to and making sure that you're clicking like the review button. Amazon at least has that. From what I've heard, that works better than like the automated emails anyways. It's a lot easier. So just just making sure you have, kind of have that stuff. So when you do start getting the sales, ideally they sh- can transfer into reviews as well. But yeah, I agree. It's like a chicken and eggs and like scenario. It's, yeah, it's yeah. not ideal to have like, you know, maybe not as good metrics on the ads, but you do need to get the sales. So really, the lesson to learn here is don't expect good performance at the beginning if you are just launching, because without reviews, you're going to have much lower conversion. But as you get, stay with it, and then you get more orders, then obviously it will translate mm-hmm. to reviews and your performance yeah. will improve. So you'll bleed. Basically, your, ad, your campaign will bleed for a while in terms of generating liquidity, right? Yeah, it just depends. I have seen some amazing performance right out of the gate. So it does happen. It does, you don't always have to bleed for months and months. Like I would not believe someone if they said, Oh, we're going to put up the ads for a month and we're not going to touch them. And then we're, you know, we'll optimize after a month or something. Like I wouldn't, you, you need to be knowing what's going on with the ads. I think there are times where we need to adjust. Like we have enough data feedback. All right, we, we can make some tweaks here. But as far as using PPC to go after specific keywords and being very, very aggressive at like a top of search, it's kind of like what I said before, like know when to hold them, when to fold them. Like sometimes the performance on that is not going to be stellar, but you should be able to track your rankings and know that, okay, so maybe I'm spending on these ads. Maybe I'm not profitable in the ads, but I do see an increase in my organic rankings just by running this so I can correlate. All right. So it does make sense for me to do this because I can see the slow and steady increase in my total sales numbers. I can see my increase in ranking. It makes sense for me to do this versus if I put up a keyword Maybe my performance isn't great, but I'm like, I'm not really getting sales. So I'm getting a lot of clicks. I'm not getting sales from this. Maybe I'm getting a couple sales. I'm at top of search. Like people obviously just aren't buying my product in relation to this keyword. So maybe this is something that I just need to cut. I think you can make that evaluation. I don't think you need to be like going super hard, aggressive all the time. Like this is my keyword set. I have to have this keyword set. If it's not working, it's not working. Yeah. However, you know. Let the data tell you what to do. Yeah. In other words. So tell us a little bit about some other things because, you know, like you mentioned at the beginning, you can run a PPC campaign all day long. It's not enough on its own. So what other things that they need to have in place other than the pictures and the, and the copy and reviews? As an account, I've seen like they sellers because you have product reviews and you have seller ratings, right? So mm-hmm. I've seen companies running PPC campaigns, but their negatives, seller negatives are running at 20, 30, 40% sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know even how Amazon keeps them online, but how does that affect the PPC campaign results? So I'm not sure how that would affect. I know there can be issues with poor 
like listing reviews. So if your product is flagged, if you're flagged, you know, for like poor reviews and that type of thing, the ads will shut off. So if you don't have the buy box, the ads shut down. So if seller performance can influence that, I'm not 100% sure how that all shakes out. You would know better than I would. But anything that can hurt the account in that way can potentially hurt the ads. Are you looking to sell on Amazon and just starting from scratch? Or are you a CEO looking to add Amazon as another sales channel to grow your distribution and revenue base? Check out Argo Metrics Seller Concierge Services or SCS for short. SCS combines knowledge and technology to grow and manage your Amazon operation. It is delivered through one-on-one coaching sessions and provides access to proven growth tools with 24-7 support Created by multiple incorporated award-winning CEO, Nick Urison, SCS will help you hit the ground running and scale your Amazon operation for more quickly less drama. Find the details on the program, visit argometrics.com. Yeah, I always give this analogy. So uh, building an Amazon operation is like having a body. You know, a body has a, a brain, your arms, your legs. So your listings are your arms and your legs. So you can have the strongest arms and the legs. And if you have a weak body, it's not, it's not going to function. And your seller account is what carries everything. So it doesn't necessarily have that one-to-one impact. But as a whole, it carries the whole account. And if you've got poor reviews, or I should say seller ratings, then it does have some kind of an impact. At the very least, it's, it has an impact on the buy box, of course. So mm-hmm. that's usually what I uh, say. You also mentioned inserts in packaging, because that also is a, it can be a, a minefield, right? So you, you have to really know what you're doing. Amazon does not like all kinds. So tell us a little bit about what kind of inserts are the right kind of inserts for PPC to perform? Uh, Yeah, so you could probably speak to that more than me. I'll be honest. My area of expertise is definitely ads. I know a lot about the ads and how to run them. And I do know how they relate to the entire account as far as getting technical, because I know that's a very sticky subject when it comes to inserts and like terms of service. So listen to better brains than me. Don't take my word at face value. I do know you need to be very, very careful about any sort of incentives that also ask for reviews. So there are some people who will say like, oh, here's a coupon. If you couple like offering something with asking for a review of, to my understanding that that's like, there are people who get away with it. Like you see those, I got one and it, it made me so mad. It was like, review our product and we'll donate to puppies. I'm like, now you make me feel like a terrible person because I feel like I'm not helping out the puppies when in reality, your product honestly sucked. <laughs> like, you know, don't, don't do that. Like I reported it. It made me feel so nasty, but so be smart about it. I know there's people getting away with it, but Amazon is getting more and more cracking down on things that are absolutely against terms of service. So people will skirt gray areas for a while and then Amazon will say, all right, we need to get rid of this. And you'll see a whole bunch of accounts have 
like, you know, reviews go away or get outright banned and you don't want to be caught up in that. Amazon knows who's doing things. It's just, do they have the time and energy to like go after you know, yeah. all of those accounts. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, at the very least, they I've seen a bunch of reviews being purged, a bunch of people who leave reviews being banned from leaving review again ever. Yes. Uh, also, they may be legitimate reviews, so they pull all the reviews by any particular Amazon uh, registered user. So tell us a little bit about your experience, if a listing is an FBA listing versus FBM listing, does that have any impact on your PPC campaign? So as long as you have the FBM skew in the ads, you can run it. So as long as you have the buy box, the ads will run for that particular listing. So one thing we often do, if we have sellers that are dealing with a lot of stock fluctuations, we might make sure that the FBM SKU and the FBA SKU are contained within the campaign. So when that FBA SKU goes out of stock, it just seamlessly switches over. So that is something you will often see a decrease in the performance, mostly just due to shopper behavior. They're very, very conditioned to like want that prime. And so you might find shoppers or maybe they're looking at the shipping times, depending on what you're doing with like your FBM shipping, that might be an issue with sellers. Now, as we get more and more into Q4 and more and more people go out of stock, you will start to see like a lot of FBM SKUs switch on. When the whole COVID thing went down and like no one could ship out and everything was absolutely bananas, I think shoppers were before they were completely adverse to you know, having something in FBM, I think from what I've seen, there's a little bit less of that. However, I do notice that that there's a definite decrease in the conversion rates. And one very interesting thing, so I want to say it was over Prime Day. There are some instances where Amazon kind of recognized that their fulfillment centers, I mean, they've been hiring like crazy and they're still absolutely swamped. So it's not that Amazon's trying to screw everyone with their inventory. It's just like, what can they honestly fulfill? So one thing that we noticed was, uh, let's see, I think I want to say it was last Prime Day. If you went onto Amazon and you shopped, not in your Prime account, but if you weren't logged into your Prime account, they were actually prioritizing the FBM SKUs. So they were prioritizing shoppers who are, who are Prime. They're, you know, they're giving them the premium options, but everyone else, they're like, we can't fulfill that much. So let's just switch over. So as things kind of start really churn in Q4, that's something I'm definitely going to keep an eye on is how does Amazon navigate that with the FBM? Because when it's FBM, they don't have to worry about the fulfillment side of things, which is one of the things that they're so swamped on so that'll that'll kind of be interesting to see how that plays out oh so that's an interesting approach you are actually saying that they are starting to favor the fbm listings simply because it takes workload away from amazon fulfillment. yeah so i have seen that in some instances i wouldn't say that's across the board but on like very peak, see, like, like I said, prime day, the influx of shoppers is like huge. Yeah. So we did see that switch over. So I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens like peak Q4 when they're completely swamped. And I would say in Q4, check your ship times religiously, even if it's an FBM, because what you'll notice is oftentimes that as the shipping times get farther out, a lot of shoppers will click on it. Nope, ship time doesn't work for me. And as soon as your ship time hits past 
December like 24th, 25th, you're going to see most likely a drastic drop in your conversion rates. So that would be something I would keep an eye on. Yeah, I actually, you know, I was a seller myself and and we would always gear ourselves towards the Christmas day. So we would say, okay, we need to make sure that we are going to ship everything to arrive by no later than 22nd, 23rd. But it really doesn't work because what happens is people travel for Christmas. So they go away. (laughs) So they want their stuff a week before Christmas. So there is no guessing, really. You you can't. So FBM, I always tell people, look, first of all, you decide what kind of business do you want to be in. Do you want to be in the business of selling stuff? Or do you want to be in the business of selling, fulfilling, providing customer service, dealing with returns? And you have to be able to do all these at scale. And that means infrastructure, that means people. So how much money and time do you have to set up an infrastructure for all these things? So forget FBM, stick to FBA. At the very least, you've got less performance metrics to to watch out for, right? Because when you go to FBM, you got another 10 or so metrics that they are tracking you on, you know, late ship rate, on-time delivery, and all those things that become your problem because you're shipping it. Yeah. So I always say, but I didn't know what kind of an impact. So you're saying that if somebody is running PPC, FBA usually converts better. So that's, that's Yeah, and it. I think that's that's typical, not just for the ads. Yeah. Yeah. I mean when it's when it's high ticket items, I guess people know that this is this is probably yeah. question. Yeah. Okay. So tell us a little bit about some crises that you've seen your clients experience. What kind of crises usually hit them unexpectedly? Yes. So huge crisis I think is a lot of the cost per clicks are going up right now. There's a lot of sellers feeling that. I think it has to do with just the, like the time frame. This, like October headed into November is this weird, like, people are kind of thinking about the fall stuff. They're, they have Christmas on their mind, but it's not right quite here yet. So they're kind of saving up their coin. I'm not going to say that's across the board. And then you also have, like we have several clothing brands and things. So you're going to have that switch over. People aren't really buying the summer swimsuits anymore. It's way too cold for that. But they don't quite need like the really thick, leggings or jackets right now either so it's this weird people like i'll throw on a light jacket and i'll be fine and so you get kind of like this weird shift over and it hasn't quite fully made the transition yet and so you'll often see like just a dip in sales now that's very normal the market does tend to have its natural fluctuations but i think there's twofold one sellers are seeing that and they're kind of freaking out and so they're driving up their bids just to try and like push ppc and get the traffic and then the other thing is i think a lot of people are pushing up their bids but in anticipation of being ranked for q4 so you kind of have like this perfect storm and i'm seeing cost per clicks go up pretty much across the board on things that were very steady before so if your cost per click go up a cost divided by 
sales divided by spend, if your spend column goes up because your cost per clicks, even if you have the exact same amount of sales, you're going to see that number rising. And then couple that with the conversion rates being a little bit lower because people are maybe a little bit more window shopping. They're kind of getting an idea for what they want to buy, you know, come Q4 December. But a lot of people are, at least as far as the big items, are waiting for like the Black Friday deals, hopefully, and that kind of thing because they realize, eh, it's not that far off. I can, I can deal with it. Yeah. So we're kind of seeing this storm right now, which is not something we are unaware of does kind of happen this time of year but sellers who aren't really aware of that or again they're just trying to push rank so they're they are aware of it but they're like you know what i'm willing to spend this you know to be better positioned for peak q4 that's something we're seeing and so if you're unaware of it some people might be kind of freaking out about it how about uh, sellers being suspended how does that affect? I and mean, obviously, everything comes to a standstill, right? Yeah. So give us some of your experience of, you know, what that's like, what causes it and how they deal with it and how long a suspension lasts. And give us some of your experiences, what you've seen. Yes. So that is a really, really tough one. I would say as far as the ad side, the results of that are going to be similar to you just going out of stock. So that, that's another thing a lot of people are dealing with going out of stock and then your listings, you know, they lose ranking. And then so when you turn back on the ads, even though they were the same exact ads before, the performance isn't that great because your sales velocity and all that momentum you've had before, it's kind of like you got to, you know, grind back. So you're going to see typically speaking, a rise in a cost, probably a rise in your cost per clicks because you're going to need to bump that up again just to keep pushing on it. So as far as the the results after that, I would say it's very similar, if not the same, to what you would expect when being out of stock. Yeah, because the whole idea is is based on the, the moving averages, right? So Amazon calculates mm-hmm. these moving averages and that's what counts. One day you get so many orders, the next day you've got nothing. That won't matter. That one day before, it won't matter. It's the overtime. So when your operation is stopped, that's it. You know, you've got zero historical data being accumulated. So that's yes. the impact. Yes, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, based on, again, your experience and everything you've seen, what is a good team that really gets results because I'm sure you've seen you've got the entrepreneur who starts the business and he wants to do things and he wants to be the answer to things or you've got another guy who just just delegates and then he delegates you know 65 different people 65 different things so what is a good team to build an Amazon operation and also pertaining to PPC what is the makeup Yeah. So as far as sellers, I would say I've seen big accounts. Like I know someone who's running a ginormous account with a much leaner team than you would expect. So I don't think you have to have, like you said, 60 people, although it might make your life easier to delegate. But if you're going to be at the head of that, that's going to require you to be deeply entrenched and you need to know what you're doing and have A players. The thing with if you're going to run a very lean team, that means that every single person has to be pulling their weight and they have to be amazing at what they do. And so I think the people that I've seen do well are the ones who either outsource or have someone on their team who is very, very good at this particular aspect of it. Like I am very good at PPC. 
I maybe could do okay if I learned the listings and copy and images, but I prefer not to split myself. That way I can go full force into what I do and be the best at it. And so my personal opinion is going to be if, you know, you, you want someone for a PPC or you want someone for listings, listings can be outsourced. Honestly, if you find someone really good or like customer service or the packaging, branding, like things that are really important to the business. I think it's important to determine like which piece first off you're good at and you enjoy and then find other people who are really, really good at their pieces. And then another thing important to a team, uh, regardless of like industry or where you are is going to be how well does the team work together? Cause you can have a players and if they don't want to talk to each other and they're not willing to cooperate, like you're not going to do well. So I think I think that's super, super important as so well. Are you referring to actually hiring people as employees to do the things or are you referring to bringing outsource people with the expertise in specific areas? I think it just depends. In the beginning, it's probably going to be you. And in my personal opinion, if you don't have the understanding, it should be you. Now, you might not be the one writing the copy. You might not be the one delegating the specific images, but you can, you can outsource that and then you can take a look because I think the closer you are to it, the more you understand when something is good and when it's not good. Like if you know nothing about PPC, you can come to me and I'll run really good PPC, but you might not know if, you know, it's, it's hard to really analyze if someone's any good at it, if you have no idea and you probably will find out eventually the work will come out, you know, say three or four months down the road, but that's three or four months that, you know, you could be doing a lot better. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is really don't try and hire people as employees unless they are good at these specific aspects of either building a listing or or PPC campaign, instead outsource it to the experts, and then you become the point person so that you can learn how things work. Is that the better approach? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And then also, I think it de- it depends on how important the task is. Like if you if you have a really good customer service script, and you know, say like. 80, 90% of those are just scripted. Maybe you can hire a VA who's going to be good and then you can teach them the nuances of that extra 10 or 20. That is pretty repeatable things that are, and I do have some sellers who will come to me, but they have like a very, very specific like optimization sequence. So like, this is what I want done on my account. I know it. I know the products. This is, you know, follow this X, Y, Z exactly. And then my answer to that is I'm not the best person for you. I bring my own expertise and I bring my own systems and I'm really good. And I'm sure yours are really good. So maybe you need to go find, I would, you would want to find a, a relatively skilled person who is knowledgeable enough to push back if something's not working. But if you have like an absolute process, that's much easier to just delegate to someone versus hiring someone who's going to bring their own like flair to it. If you want that flair, great. But if you want an X, Y, Z, then you probably just need to hire that. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is you have to build a set of procedures and if you like your playbook, right? (laughs) So that, Mm -hmm. that everything is done. And that's actually something that I always advocate because consistency is going to give you credibility as a seller when something goes wrong and something will go wrong with Amazon. Mm-hmm. And at that point, if you have consistency in how you operate it, you can refer to it 
and then they will know that it was just a mistake or something wasn't supposed to happen because it doesn't usually happen that way. But if you are winging it all the time or you just simply get people in and say, just figure this out for me, it just, that's no way to build an Amazon operation, right? Yeah. 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 Like so I said, I, they, uh, they might be good. They might not be, but you're going to find out way too far down the road. <laughs> yeah. So you either have to do it as the owner or you have to have somebody who takes ownership in building that infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, and in the Definitely. process, just let the outsourced expertise take care of those critical tasks rather than learn, you know, by trial and error method is not mm-hmm. best because it costs money. Okay. I just wanted to dig into this PPC thing because everybody thinks that this is the magic bullet. You know, I can just spend money and then get sales. And it's gonna, it's not, it's never like that. It's not what the Amazon business is a very complex operation. You really need to be ready for all kinds of things. So yeah, uh, definitely. Okay. Uh, Elizabeth, this is very useful. Thank you for your expertise and your information will be on our website and also in the podcast. Uh, it will be, broadcast so anybody who wants to uh, reach out to you they'll have your information and thank you again for your yeah thanks for having me it's been great bye bye everyone thank you for tuning in to today's episode be sure and subscribe rate and review our show and be sure and share an episode with a friend and thank you so much for being with us today we'll see you next week here on amazon legends